Thank you for listening to our New Life Christian Center podcast. Stay tuned after the sermon for more ways to connect with us. I, I, didn't, I didn't realize how hard this was on the people who were around me who have been listening to what's been coming out of me now since about the second week of November. Um, and I've had some time with, with all of them, and, and uh, I've, I've noticed at times the reluctance to, to receive uh, uh, what I felt like God was saying. And so I argued with God uh, for a consistent amount of time about this. I told Lola in the copy room today. By the way, Lola is uh, Tuesday, January 10th. Uh, a glow is going to be meeting right here. Yuma County, a glow. What do we call that? Yuma, glow. Okay, there we go. Bring some finger food at 6 o'clock, fellowship, and uh, then followed by some praise and worship and a visit video presentation. They're going to be in this room shooting it right up like we do right now. So that's um, January 10th. That's a Tuesday. So come. There's some invites out on the table out there. So thank you, Lola, for that. What? We're having Bible study this Tuesday, whatever day that is. Two-third. Third. Second. Third. Nine-third in the morning. Come. If, uh, you know, one of the interesting things God has done in our lives is uh, uh, made our focus kind of narrow. And, and sometimes I will be honest with you and complain <clears throat> out loud and live transparently before you so that you can learn from my mistakes. It won't do any good to complain about the narrowness that God gives you for your focus. Um, it's, it's not always prosperous to shake a defiant fist in the face of God. And say, I don't want to go there. That's just not, not a great deal. And you can say, well, I got my plans. I know. Can you, can, you, can you just process with me over the last couple of years how many of our plans have been, have been kind of thwarted by what happened in the world? Not been good. In January of 2020, the Lord gave us a word about paying attention to the small things in our heart. In March of 2020, the government advised, ordered, made us struggle with the idea that we should close church. And we closed sometime in March and opened back up on the 1st of June. The prophecy in January said that this will all end the 1st of June. You may not have been aware of that, but God told us the time frame. Only in that passage, things got so, so wacky that we didn't like having somebody tell us what to do. How many of you love it when somebody tells you what to do? How many of you love it when somebody tells you what to do and you don't think they know what they're talking about? How many of you have ever said out loud, no, don't raise your hands and embarrass yourself, said out loud, I don't like this. Bunch of idiots are running things, right? And you had this complaint. And so I began to ask God about this, by the way, in October of that year, September, October, you can go back and look. Lord gave another prophecy in this church. Not only are we going to pay attention to the small things in our heart, we're going to pay attention to the shiny objects that are distractions. We were distracted a lot. We were distracted a lot by little shiny objects that said, we ought to pay attention to this. I just want to tell you something. When the serpent came to Eve, he came to her with a shiny object. I'm going to show it to you today. But don't turn there first. Turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 
If you're following along with us and you like the fact that we make stuff available to you online and you use the U version, you can go check into your U version app. If your location services are on, it will tell you that you're likely sitting in New Life Christian Center in Eckley, Colorado. Then there'll be a large question mark that'll be put there going, what in the world are you doing there? No, not really. <laughs> and you can click down to events and do all that kind of stuff, and then you will find that here are these notes. This is at least the sixth shot at this. I've sent it to Jeremy a number of times. I've reprinted it and thrown it away. I've shredded it and argued with God. I have a shredder in my office. When I don't like something, I just turn around and it goes... And when, I st- when it stops, I know it's gone in little pieces. I love it. God said, I didn't tell you to shred it. I told you to preach it. I said, I don't really want to. And he said, don't be scared of their faces. I wasn't worried about your faces until he said that. And now I'm worried about your faces. So I'm going to tell you one of the secrets of a long-term pastor. When you have to preach something that's kind of tough, pick out spots about a foot above everybody's head and just keep scanning that spot on the wall. It makes, me, makes you think I'm looking at you. I'm not, because I'm scared of your faces. Now, not in a, you know, see, I can make that. This, this is where you need to laugh. I'm scared of their faces, Lola. <laughs> There's some crazy-looking folks in our church. No, not really. <laughs> Because you see, occasionally what happens is the Spirit of God will cause any leader to say something that you don't agree with. And you'll do the same thing that you did when the government said you need to shut down your church. You'll say inside yourself, well, bless God, I don't agree with that. And that'll show all over your face. You know that your perception is really important. So this service is entitled, The Perception, Illusion, and Deception of Control. I'm going to give you an introduction today with just two passages of Scripture. I'm going to let you out of here shortly. But let me explain to you, so get your notes out. If you're following along, I don't know what Jeremy puts in. I send it to him. So I'm going to give you the definitions that we're going to use. I'll keep referring to them throughout the next several weeks. Perception is just a way of regarding or understanding or interpreting something. It's not just how you see something, but rather how you interpret what you see. So it's a way of regarding or understanding or interpreting something. So for an example, when the government said, you have to close your church down, many of us said, well, that's not fair. That's not right. We perceived that they didn't have the right to tell us that. And because of our perception, many of us, I was at the head of that. Listen, on behalf of you all, we joined a lawsuit to sue the governor. Right? 700 churches in Colorado sued the governor. On the last Sunday of May, he gave up. We win. We have control. No. We don't. Because you see... The whole focus of what God wants us to see in the issue of control is that our perception, oftentimes without the Spirit of God, does not involve the necessary discernment that God will give. 
So our perception by itself is human. When you add the spirit of God, it becomes discernment. It'll cause you to see what's happening in our world differently than you now see it. By the way, when you see it with just your perception, it can create in you an illusion. What's an illusion? An illusion, you have those? Oh, thank you, brother, for thinking for me. A thing that is or is likely to be wrongly perceived or interpreted by the senses. By the senses. So when somebody tells you something, your senses tell you, they can't control me. They already did. They already did. You want to know why? What they said made you mad. Who's in your head? See, when you rent space to people or spiritual entities in your brain, they'll tell you how to think. Many of you throughout the last two years have listened to lots of people tell you how to think. Those things were renting space in your head. And the illusion was that if we did something, we could fix it. If we did something. Yet we all know spiritually that Jesus did everything that was necessary. There's nothing left to be added besides the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And so we had this duplicity of thought. I got to do something. How many of you have ever had a perception that created an illusion that you need to do something? You're in one right now. Many of you have said to Tracy and I, I wish there was something else we could do for you and your family. Listen, get rid of the illusion that there's anything more powerful than praying for us. Yeah, bake us cookies if you want. That's great. That'll give you an outlet. Right? Bake some cookies. And if you want, call me. I'll tell you what kind of bake. And you can get my perception of God's best invented cookie. But you know that if I tell you the best invented cookie is a half-cooked chocolate chip that's a little bit gooey that you can kind of smush together and eat almost like raw cookie dough, you might say to me, no, you don't understand, Pastor, the best cookie, and then you fill in the blank. And your perception and your illusion, right, is kind of goofy. And I can tell you you're wrong. But when the Bible, when this happened in the Bible, God said, I'm going to survive, I'm going to provide for you, and he rained something down from heaven called manna, which translated means... What is it? They know what it was. Tasted like honey. It disappeared every day if it was left on the ground, except on Friday when you had enough for Saturday for the Sabbath. But if you tried to put it in jars and keep it, it got wormy. And evidently, everybody liked it. Right until they didn't. And then they complained, Lord, we don't have any meat. And so God caused quail to rain down from heaven on them until the Bible says in Psalms, it came out of their noses. What a great movie that would be. <laughs> I mean, it's kind of like, it's kind of like, you know, when you're in a family deal and everybody's drinking milk and somebody cracks a joke and the milk comes out their nose. <laughs> That's hilarious. God did that. I'm telling you, God has got a great sense of humor. He's not mad. We're in the middle of something here in 2023. At the beginning of this year, we're in the middle of something that God's been doing for the last two years. Some of us missed it. 
I mean, we missed it big as life because we got focused on something bigger than the small aspects of our heart. And so we got wound up over politics. I'm not saying politics aren't important. I'm just saying that somebody dangled a shiny object in our faces and we said, oh yeah, that's really important. I will take... Leave it alone, Glenn. Just move on. Illusion is just a thing that is or is likely to be wrongly perceived by the senses. Our senses, our emotions are terrible leaders in our life. Let me keep going with the introduction, can I? Deception. The act of causing someone to accept as true or valid what is false or invalid. God, when I was praying over this over the last two months, I remembered a friend that I saw and I spoke to him and he said, that sounds like Glenn Klein. And his wife said to me, oh, you probably don't know, he's legally blind. And immediately inside of me, the Lord said to me, that's a lie. He's illegally blind. He's, it's illegal. Jesus came to give sight to the blind. It's illegal. Spiritually, it's illegal. See, perception will say, oh yes, there's nothing we can do about that. He's just blind. Poor soul. But spiritually, when you add the Holy Spirit, your perception will take care of the illusion and the deception. And you'll turn what's happening in the world on its head. And say, he's illegally blind. So this week I started praying for that individual. I say, I'm here to enforce the legality of heaven on his life. I'll let you know when he sees. How many of you know you can close your eyes and see, right? Right? Your eyes aren't working, but you can still see. Can I give you a little help in praying for us? Close your eyes a little bit. Don't look at what you can see. Close your eyes. See what you can see. Because in my world, my family is whole, healed, and walking in the power of God. You say, well, but what if that doesn't happen? Well, you, then it won't happen for you. Deception. The act of causing one to accept. There are three kinds of deception. Are you ready? Deception is when you won't believe what's true. Deception is also when you believe what's not true. The third kind of deception, get ready, get your toes in the aisle, I'm coming by, is when you believe what you think is true. And it's not. But you hold on to it because you're deceived. No one could tell you, right? I mean, I learned that from this, these, this couple that I, I met in the parking lot. And, and the wife said, he's legally blind. I thought, just right there. I mean, just like that. God said, he's illegally blind. I didn't call him to be blind. I came to set him free. He's illegally blind. See, there's a deception. Nothing we can do about legal blindness. This thing happened. And it's bigger than the reality of your God. That's a deception. 
Well, there's nothing we can do about that. We're just lost. Listen, I will just tell you right now that no amount of evil coming from any area, right? Let me just say it to you this way. No one can out the sacrifice of Jesus. That'll preach. That's a good one. Thank you, Pastor Glenn. If I get a chance to preach, I'm preaching that message. And the final preparation for understanding this is control. Control is the power to influence or direct events or people. The power to influence or direct events or people. Please understand, I'm not talking about what you do in yourself. I'm talking about what you want to do in others and in society. Thank you for your enthusiasm. That'll hit you hard, people of God. Because what do we want in society? Did you know that we all want comfort in society? I'm always upset. And I want the middle portion of America to secede from America. And I want it to be called the Christian gathering of the United States of America. In the Bible Belt. And us included. In all of that. Because see, there'll be people out there when you say that and say, well, you're not a Bible preacher. I know I've been preaching for 15 minutes and I've never given you a scripture, but I've referenced a whole bunch. But I'm going to give you some. Are you ready? First, 2 Corinthians chapter 3. Now, I'm giving you the solution. So if I offend you today and you never want to come back, just keep calling the church and say, is pastor done with that thing about control? Because I'm giving you the solution today. Are you ready? 2 Corinthians chapter 3. I'm going to give you the problem after this, but I'm going to give you a solution first. So I want to keep you attached. Verse number 1 of chapter 3. Are you ready? Did you find it? Say amen. amen. Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need, as some others, epistles of condemnation, commendation, sorry, not condemnation, to you, or letters of commendation from you? You are our epistle written in our hearts. Paul is talking about the people he ministers to. He said, you are an epistle written in our hearts, known and read by all men. Clearly, do you see that? Clearly, you are an epistle of Christ. God never called us to be anything more in our calling than a reflection of Jesus Christ. That's what he called us to be. He didn't call us to be a good neighborhood. Not specifically, a good county, a good town, a good state, a good country. You've got to get a worldwide perspective on what God has called you to do. Because we are living in a, I mean, there are probably, in the past when I've looked at this, we've had people in different countries watching this, being influenced by what's available. That's going to just increase you can get anything you want whenever you want on that thing called the Google. He says, you're clearly an epistle of Christ. That's what he called us to do. That's our calling. Ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God. Not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. God is here today trying to write something on our hearts. And verse number four says, and we have such trust through Christ towards God. Now notice that he said in his circumstances that he has trust through Christ towards God. Pay attention to the order. He has trust 
through Jesus to God. That's where we need to be as a country. That's where we need to be as an individual. Our trust is through Christ to God. He's going to handle these things. By the way, it may not turn out exactly the way that you planned. That's the control part. I know it's painful. I've had two months to deal with it. You just have to come along with me. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves. He's not saying anything about talent or learnedness here. What he's saying is that our sufficiency, the abilities that God puts on us, is a grace to be what he's called us to be. A grace to be what he's called us to be. It's not through intellect. It's not through knowledge. It's not through learnedness. It's a calling in our heart, written in our heart. It doesn't make sense all the time intellectually. Does that make sense? I mean, you can see that it doesn't always make sense intellectually, right? Because how many of you thought that you thought like most of America thought? At one point in your life, didn't you think most of America thought like you? Only what we found out in this spiritually divided nation of ours is that half of the people must be wrong. Because they don't think like us. We can't figure it out. And so here's what we do. <coughs> I'm going to teach a message in the weeks to come called The Power of Learning from Adversity that you're really going to like. But it'll take a couple of weeks for you to get prepared to like it. Because here's what happens. What we really want is for what we think and what we want and how we want to control. We want that to be reflected in our nation. And so it really ramps us up. I was, I was seriously ramped up about this. And then God asked me, you know, like, like when Adam and Eve had, hid from God, he said, Adam, where are you? He didn't lose them. They lost themselves. They didn't recognize where they were. When Elijah was up on the mountain, hiding in the cave, and he said, I'm the only one left. He says, well, first of all, you don't understand. I got 700 I've been hiding. He says, what are you doing here? And he said, I'm so zealous for you, I had to hide in a cave. That was never God's design. That was his design. When prophets prophesy out of the desires of their heart, it'll create a wrong motive for what people do. Amen. Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but we are sufficient, but our sufficiency is from God. Literally, the outpouring of grace to walk in difficult times when we don't understand what's going on is what sufficiency is. We don't have to have right circumstances. Do you know that you don't have to have money to be rich and you can have money and be poor? Right? Because of your perception. I've met a lot of people where enough wasn't enough. You can ask them to give or, you know, they got more money than they can ever spend if they took off spending today. And they say, well, I need it for a rainy day. I'm telling you, it's raining today. Amen. Notice, if you would, please, in the sixth verse, he says, <coughs> excuse me, who also has made us sufficient as ministers 
of the new covenant. See, Paul was qualified by a sufficient grace to meet the demands of his calling. You are sufficient by God's grace to meet the demands of the calling to live in this society on this day. It's grace that does it. Notice again in verse number 6, he says, of the new covenant. He says, I made you sufficient in the new covenant. Now when he's writing this, the new covenant wasn't a very well defined thing. See, they didn't have what we have. They didn't have a collection of New Testament scriptures that came into the canon of scripture considered the living word of God. They didn't have that. They had letters. He says, you've been sufficient as ministers of the new covenant. Paul understood. He recognized that he had to go forth and make disciples of something called the new covenant reality. See, before what happened was, Paul went forth. I mean, it's kind of why they threw, his, threw their clothes at the, at the feet of a man named Saul when they stoned Stephen. Stephen was preaching the new covenant. But because it didn't line up with what the law said, they killed him. Paul was approving of it. And so put up that next quote, please, Jeremy. It says, Paul recognized he was to go forth and make the principles of the new covenant a reality. We still stand there today. The new covenant is different than the old one. The old one became an issue of commandments and rights and circumstances that gained by, by doing, gained God's approval. He says, it's a new, new covenant. He says, look what he says in verse number six. He says, made us sufficient as ministers of new covenant, not of the letter, but of the spirit. But look what he says. For the letter kills. The law alone points out to you that you deserve to die. You can't possibly fulfill God's requirements in the law. If you miss one of them, we should take you outside the gates of the city and stone you. See, this is why parenting is such a struggle. In the Old Testament, if your kid sasses you, take him outside the gates of the city with the elders of the, of the city and stone him to death. Whew, that'd work. Any of you sassed your... Don't raise your hands now because... I don't have any rocks up here, but sassed your parents this week? In the Old Testament, we should have just killed you. By the way, your brothers and sisters would pay attention if we killed the first sassy one. That's what the letter does. The letter alone kills. And Paul was saying, put up the next quote, please. He says, Paul recognized the spiritual reality of the new covenant was to produce pardon. Did I skip one, Jeremy? I did. Paul recognized the revelation of the new covenant would remove them from the bondage and the rights and the celebrations of the law. I just want to tell you something. You don't any longer have to celebrate Old Testament law. You don't have to live in a tent. You don't have to have the picture of the reality. You have the reality. Put up the next one for me, would you please, Jeremy? I'm sorry, I preached my way right past this. Paul recognized the spiritual reality of the new covenant was to produce pardon, relief, Release and joy through grace. People of God, in 2023, God's going to shake some foundational things. And when all the shaking starts, I hope that because of what you're hearing today, you'll have a smile on your face. Because that's what the Bible says God's going to do. He says, well, but, but Pastor, I don't want to be shaken. Nope. You see, if you trust Jesus, you're part of the unshakable group. 
And if anything's rattling in your pockets, just take it out and throw it away because that's a shaken part that God wants to get rid of anyway. You say, well, I just don't think that's right, Pastor. I'm I'm just going to believe God for comfort. Well, go right ahead. In fact, you'll be able to find prophets who will prophesy to you comfort. Don't tickle your ears. Just hang on. I'm not prophesying bad to you. If you will follow what the Word of God says, you'll be that person who has the pardon, the relief, the release, and the joy through grace, and you'll be smiling all the way through your life. You say, well, that'd be better, wouldn't it? Yeah. When you go through tough things, put some joy in your heart because the joy of the Lord is your strength, not the circumstances you're going through. Man, I had to repent a lot. Circumstances put me in such a position that I questioned whether God knew what he was doing. Well, God, that can't be right. I know what you want to do in our country. I know what you want to do through all of these things. And I found all kinds of prophets, people that would, would, would preach to me what I wanted to hear. Two of the people that I listened to, only two, have repented of missing what God said. A half a dozen of those people, forgive me, because I might be touching some of your toes. You weren't the prophets, but you probably listened to some of the same people I did. Some of them doubled down and never repented of missing And they blamed you for not praying enough. Now let me just point out something to you. You can't ever pray enough and prayer won't move God. I'm sorry. God's word is his boundary. Pray his word. That is God moving already. See, we spend a lot of time trying to figure out how to get God to move. He was already moving. He did it through Jesus Christ. He's never stopped. He showed us that in Genesis chapter 1 when he said, let there be light. It's never stopped. That's how God does things. He sets something in motion. He says, get on the wave of what I'm doing. I'm just telling you right now, I never wanted to surf because it looks like, I mean, the ocean is, I've flown over the ocean several times. And I'll just tell you, there's a lot of water out there. It's big. It's powerful. It's controlling. I never wanted to be thrown up against the beach. By a wave. That looked like a bad idea I was going to lose. But I will tell you, I've never been so excited in all my life as to step into the flow of God on a wave of what God is doing. I'm going to try and prepare you for it. Because I'm telling you right now, it's gathering. There is a wave gathering. People misinterpreted it by perception in the last election. What did you hear them talk about? The red wave. It didn't materialize. You say, well, you didn't pray enough. Okay, didn't we just handle that? You can't ever pray enough. And your prayers didn't move in God. We, our perception, we didn't have the discernment. God is starting something, not only in our country, but over the face of the earth. Going to change some stuff. You say, well, but what I want him to do, Stop. If the Holy Ghost limousine pulls up in front of the building, are you really going to ask the Holy Ghost where he's going? I don't care. I'm getting in. I'm getting in. You say, well, but what if you don't? I won't have any control. That's the goal. Adam and Eve had perfect peace and no control when they were under God. 
All he said to them is, don't eat that one tree. You want to see it? See, I've already introduced myself out of time. Genesis chapter 3. <laughs> We're going to keep talking about this. It is on me so hard. Are you ready? We'll just, we'll just introduce this. We'll pick it up again next week. <clears throat> Verse number 1 of chapter 3. Did I tell you that? Are you ready? Now the serpent. Now notice that the serpent was cunning. In fact, more cunning than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, has God indeed said? Now notice that in this perception, illusion, deception, and control issue, the enemy comes and questions what you heard from God. He said, did he really say you should not eat of every tree? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God said you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. Did God say that? Second perception is when we add to what God said. She said, no, you can't even touch it. Don't touch it. Now, I've always explained this, that probably what happened was that God gave the instructions to Adam when Adam and Eve were one person. The Bible says he, he, made, he made them in his image, created he them, and then a chapter later he puts them to sleep and they become two. God's got some crazy math. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows. Now here's the thing. Whose image were they made in? God's. And so the serpent in his cunning way says, God is withholding from you. Here's something you don't know that God knows. But ask yourself this question. Who knows what he's going to say? He's going to say, that's not the way it's going to be. God will open your eyes. And you'll see that the tree is good for food. Well, he already told them that. Back in chapter 2, he said, man, these trees are pretty. They're good for food. He says, God knows, verse 5, the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like him. Well, now wait just a minute. I was already like him. Look what he said. He said, knowing good and evil. Can you... Explain to me why it's a great religious principle for us to accept that we need to know what's right and wrong and what's bad. The church has been captivated for 2,000 years since Jesus came with right and wrong. Where did it come from? It came from the garden. Why, would you, why do you need to know what's evil? Why do you need religiosity to show you how bad everybody else is? They were missing something. And see, there's an identity change that happens here. And I don't know quite where I'm in my notes, Jeremy, but, you know, you can put up a quote and I'll, I'll go with it. But Adam and Eve were deceived to want what they already had by creative design. We have been deceived when we thought our freedom was taken away from us, when freedom is given only through God. We bought into the percent. Well, we got to be free. You are free. free to, th these people were so free in the, in the garden. But the, but, the, but the devil, he came along and he deceived them to want something they already had. Isn't that interesting? And when that worked, they sewed together 
fig leaves to cover their nakedness to cover what they already had. See, they just recognized that their stuff was hanging out. Isn't that interesting? Notice it says then, when the woman, verse 6, saw the tree was good for food, it was already good for food, pleasant to the, to the eyes, already desirable to make one wise. Uh-oh. <clears throat> they left the control of God in the garden for the freedom that the enemy offered. They did just what we do. We say our freedom has to be equated with control. We're only free because we've done the right laws. We've done the right things. Freedom isn't that. Freedom only happens in God. I didn't realize why God would put me in prison and jail ministry for so many years. And why I would see so many people behind bars that were freer than people who weren't behind bars. And I'll tell you, freedom is not about location or not about what you've done. It's about who's paid for your freedom. Jesus Christ has paid for your freedom. You are free. No one can take that from you unless you offer it through the deception, perception, and illusion of control. Can't. Can't lose it. You say, sure, if you sin. No. Jesus is the filter the Father looks through to see you. He'll never leave you nor forsake you. You say, well, then we can just sin however we want. You can, but it won't end well for you because you will be miserable in your sin. God will still love you. You can't out the gift of Jesus. So stop trying. Amen. Notice in verse number 7, it says, The eyes of both them were open, and they knew that they were naked. Wow. You need to understand that the deception that's being offered is one that will take you away from the identity that you already walk in. Put up that quote, please, Jeremy. Um, um, uh, um, our perceptions and illusions, there it is. And deceptions are sensory experiences with a desire of control. Control that promises an identity change. You can be freer if, you can never be freer than when you depend totally and squarely on God and God alone. You don't have to add anything to it. You say, oh yes, i got to pray more. Yes, you should. Listen, you can pray without ceasing. Did you know you can do that? You can do that right now. Because it can happen in your spirit, man. You can mumble on the inside. Pray without ceasing. I do it when I preach because sometimes I'm not exactly sure what God's trying to get across until I can argue with him. Notice in verse number 11, let me see if I can close with this. You know what? Let's just go back. <coughs> I'm not going to... Will you give me some more time? Eight. And they heard the sound of the Lord God... They heard the sound of the Lord God walking. What was God doing? How, I mean, unless he's like got a really heavy foot. He's talking. He's talking. They heard the sound of him. What was he doing? Talking. Even after Adam and Eve made the gravest mistake that put us all in the bad position, God was still talking to them. And they didn't come to meet him. They hid themselves. Your change of identity from 
walking and talking face to face with God, when your change of identity happens, you'll hide from the very person you say that you love. You'll hide from him. God, God, I, I love it when people say, well, you know, we've got to make sure the church is pure and holy. Why? Why? Well, that's where God is. No, he's talking to the sinners. Once he's done with you, he says, you do what's in my word. Let's go after the rest of these folks. That's our, that's our identity in Christ. In Christ. You say, well, yeah, but aren't we supposed to do things right? That'll come supernaturally, naturally to you. Just follow him. Yes, we'll make mistakes. I'm telling you, life is messy. You will make some mistakes. People who say they don't make mistakes, who are never showing their mistakes, they're not trying very hard. You ought to try. See, sometimes you've got to try some stuff. Then the Lord God called Adam and said, where are you? He wasn't looking because he lost him. He's asking Adam to consider. And so he, Adam, said, I heard your voice in the garden. And I was afraid because I was naked and I hid myself. He heard his voice and he hid from his voice. I was afraid because I was naked. Now look at, God could have handled the hiding part or the fearful part. There's three activities here. He said, I heard your voice, I was afraid, and I hid myself. Those are the things he chose to do. What did God choose to take issue with, with Adam? Who told you you were naked? What did he do? He identified the change of identity. In God, that nakedness that all of us, you know, I mean, it's kind of an awkward thing and the kids are in the church service this morning and all that kind of stuff. And you're talking about nakedness. That was completely naturally supernatural in the freedom in the garden. Nobody saw anything about it until they broke covenant with God and entered into their own control. And then they hid. Who told you you were naked? What did they learn? When they exchanged identity, they began to make up their own evil. Do you see it? They were naked. It's evil to be naked. Sew some fig leaves together. Let's get this stuff hidden. Now, I'm not advocating some sort of, you know, nudist awakening. I'm trying to point out to you that their identity was changed away from the security of how they were made in God. This sin today allows Steve to marry Steve. They changed identities. And they're just going to preach this as normal. It's not normal. I wanted to stay away from all these things. I don't want to, you know, offend anybody. But, you know, I guess if you're offended by all of this, let me just take this a little bit further. When you lose your identity in Christ you'll accept your created identity of humans. And humans will say to you all kinds of goofy stuff that isn't according to the Bible. That's why you can't, humans, humans can't have control. We are a goofy lot. Right? I mean, honestly, we want to just pass a law and tell people they can't do stuff. I just want to tell you something. That hadn't worked. That didn't work for you on the first day of the year on Sunday. Because many of you did not drive 65 miles an hour, exactly 65 miles an hour on your way out here. 
Because you made up your own law. You know that you can go 68, right? Come on, let's, let's decide what the law is for ourselves here. What's the speed limit? 65. How many of you think it's okay to go 66? Come on, raise your hands. 66. Anybody going to raise your hand? 66. Just keep your hand up until I hit your magic number, okay? 67? 68. My hand goes down on 68. 69? 70. 71? Uh-oh, okay. Oh, yo, I still got one. How much higher do I have to go with your law? 72? Three? <laughs> are, you, are you tracking with me? What did man do when they left the identity of, of God's boundaries? They made up their own. They made up their own. That's an evidence of control. It's a perception issue. I remember when I first started driving, the speed limit in Nebraska was 60. I thought everybody in Nebraska was an idiot. 60 miles, are you kidding me? I drove through the painted desert in Arizona one time with my mom and dad, and there's no speed limit down there. Whoa, that was great. My mom was going 93 miles an hour when she got pulled over. 93 in a station wagon without seat belts. My brother and I are sitting in the back of the, of the, of the, of the station wagon with the seats put down. There's no seats in the back of the station wagon, so we have room to play. And we got these two little desks that are, that are hung over the front of the, of, the, of the front seat there, you know. And my mom had behind the, the seat there an unrolled hanger. I'll just tell you right now, if you didn't mind mom, you heard that hanger coming through there. And it was a fight, whoever was going to be in front, because somebody's getting hit by the hanger. She's driving 93 miles an hour and hitting us with a rod. Somebody made up the rules. Are you tracking with me? When we leave our God-given identity, we make our own. We got to get back to God's identity. I don't mean you can't speed. I don't even care if you speed. I just hope that you'll listen to the boundaries of God and not make up your own. That makes sense? I don't know how we got here, but there we go. Hallelujah. Put up the last quote. I'll see if it even fits. Adam and Eve made the same mistake we often do, equating freedom with control. We must be free because of God's design control, not our desired freedom exercised through our control. It's all about who are you going to submit to in God. Does it make sense? It gets better from here. I've just introduced it to you today. We'll talk about these things in hopefully in great spiritual detail. And I'm not trying to convince you to be what I think is right. I'm trying to convince you to accept what God's already put in motion in his word. Jesus is the dude who wants to be in charge of your life. Figure it out. You say, well, I just want my stuff. You're wasting your time wanting your stuff. If your stuff doesn't line up with God, it's not worth having. Amen. Come on, music team. I'll stop there. <clears throat> I, got, I, got, I got more, but I don't know where to go with it. So we'll do it next week. <clears throat> Stand with me, would you please? Did you get challenged? Because that was really the goal of this was to challenge you to begin the process. 
so we can talk about what does it look like to submit to the control of God in every aspect of our life. It's one of those simple things that we think we should be doing automatically, but no one ever challenges us about the control that we have in our own flesh, in our own desires, in our own perception. Things ought not to be the way they are in our world. And so we say, we know what the solution to that is. We need to do this, this, and this. And if people don't do this, this, and this, we think they're nuts. And we separate our country away from the unity that is Christ. We're deceived, just like the Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse number 2. We're deceived from the simplicity of Christ. Because we've got to have right worldly things. Amen? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you for teaching us. Lord, let your word be the words of power and life in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening. To subscribe to our podcast, search New Life Eckley in all of the major podcasting apps. Audio and video of our sermons are posted at newlifeeckley.com slash live, and you can watch Sermon Slices weekdays on social media. Search at New Life Eckley. Our main service is at 10 a.m. Mountain Time every Sunday. Thanks for listening.